<clears throat> Morning, church. Today I want to talk about <clears throat> life-changing moments. Life-changing moments. They can happen in an instant. They can happen over a period of days. They can happen over a year. Let me illustrate in a couple of ways. You know, through the years, I've had a variety of surgeries, like many of you. I've had my gallbladder out. I've had my appendix out. My appendix ruptured during surgery. I stayed in the hospital six days. Kelly would have let them keep me much longer, but I was ready to get home. Um, I've had one of my knees scoped. I get shots in my knee, but, you know, here's the deal. When you get that call, your gallbladder needs to come out, your appendix needs to come out, you're like, okay, let's do this. Um, may not be real excited about it, but let's do this. Last year, I got a different call. Last year, I got a life-changing call, and it became a life-changing moment for me when you get that call that says, hey, we're referring you to a heart failure doctor. I'm thinking, they got to come up with a better name than that. <laughs> But that got my attention. Maybe you've had that call. In the next three days, four or five were just kind of a blur. I'm like, heart failure. I had no symptoms. I had no reason to believe. Um, but all kinds of things went through my head. Things about family, things about kids, things about grandkids. Um, you, you, you know I'm relatively private and don't share a whole lot. I'll share a little bit. Um, you know, I preached last year that I don't mind going to the doctor. So I went about 50 times last year. So don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. I mean, I've had a couple of echoes, a cardiac MRI, a CT scan. I, I wore one of those heart monitors. In the heat of Texas heat summer, I wore a life vest defibrillator for six weeks. Wow. Not to mention my dermatology appointments, regular doctor appointments. It's Central Texas sinus appointments. Last year was a life-changing moment for me. Maybe you can relate. Maybe as I list all those things, you're thinking, Richie, been there, done that. That's nothing compared to the doctor's appointments and procedures and everything I've been through. And that some of y'all are probably thinking, you know, I haven't seen the doctor since birth. <laughs> and you're healthy and you don't have to go to the doctor and that's a blessing and I'm thankful for that. But let me talk about life-changing moments. Let me give you a definition. A point or event in your life when you experience something that fundamentally changes you. Not only do these moments define us, but they have a transformative effect on our perceptions and behaviors. You can call it a fork in a road. Those, those moments, those events, a fork in a road, you, you, you've got to make a decision to go one way or the other. Life-changing moments can be positive events. Life-changing moments can be negative events. And whether it's a positive or a negative, it needs to be a learning moment. That's what life-changing moments should be, learning moments. So you can search uh, life-changing moments or defining moments. And here's what you'll probably come up with. Here's what my search came up with. These are the most common life-changing moments. You get married or divorced, you start a new job or you leave an old one, you begin a new business partnership, you take a big trip, you pay off debt, 
You finish school, you retire, you lose a loved one, or you're having a baby. Now, your life-changing moment doesn't have to be on that list. There's no right or wrong. Whatever the moment is, whatever the event is that changed your life, that had you turn directions, that's a life-changing moment. And so today I want to talk about life-changing moments. And to do that, I want to look at one particular person and his life-changing moment. You can find his story, he tells his story, in Acts 9 and 22 and 26. His name was Saul. His name became Paul, the Apostle Paul. You might remember Paul. He went on three or four missionary journeys. He traveled thousands and thousands and thousands of miles on those missionary journeys. He established churches all over the place. He wrote about half of the New Testament. Now, it all started with a life-changing moment that changed the direction of his life, which is interesting. Because he thought his life was just fine. He thought how he was living was just fine. He thought the way he was doing things was just fine. Just like many of us. Just like you. Just like me. Maybe people in your family. Maybe some of your friends. We think, my life's just fine. I don't need a life-changing moment. And Paul was no different. So let me describe how his life was before his life-changing moment. So you might remember a guy named Stephen, and he was preaching in Acts chapter 7, and he was preaching to the crowd about Jesus. And here's how the crowd responded. When the crowd heard this, his sermon, his preaching, you can read that sermon in Acts 7, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. So I'm thankful for y'all's response to all of my sermons that you've not responded this way. This crowd was vicious. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city. They began to stone him. They're going to kill him because of his sermon about Jesus. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And here's how we're introduced to this guy. And Saul was there. Saul was there giving approval to his death, probably yelling some stuff, maybe even throwing some stones, certainly participating. We continue reading. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. And while they're doing that, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and he put them in prison. Now, we're going to skip some events. You can read in Acts. We've done a series, a study on Acts. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I don't even know what that sounds like, but that description, again, seems very vicious. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues so that if he found anyone there, anyone in the synagogues, anyone worshiping, anyone who was in a church atmosphere, so if he found anyone there, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners. Imagine going to church, going to worship, and Saul shows up and he just starts dragging you out, dragging us out. That's what he was doing. 
Here's how Paul tells his own story. He says, I'm a Jew. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. (laughs) He called that being zealous for God. Dragging off men and women. Throwing them into prison. Giving approval when they died. I was just being zealous for God. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. We keep reading. I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Wow, that was Saul. I wanted to introduce you to Saul before his life-changing moment. So what happened? What happened that would change this kind of passion and conviction? What would happen that would turn him around? What was his life-changing moment? Again... He thought he was doing right. He thought his religion was right. His beliefs were right. His traditions were right. Dragging off Christians was right. Putting them to death was right. He thought he was following God. I don't want you to miss that. He thought he was right. And then he had a life-changing moment. His words... On one of those, these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now if his, if his resume came in to teach a class or to be a deacon or to be an elder... We wouldn't even consider this guy. And yet he said he was being zealous for God. Now, again, before his life-changing moment, he thought he was following God. He thought he was doing everything right. Just like you. Just like me. Sometimes we get so staunch about our beliefs. Sometimes we get so zealous about our beliefs, we think we're right. Everything we do is right. We're convinced our beliefs are right. We're convinced that God's going to save us because we're right. Which has always amazed me. Two people in the same church can read a text, a scripture, and have two different opinions. Who's right? Two people in two different churches can read the same text and come up with two different beliefs. Who's right? We can even look at the life of Saul who was killing Christians 
And we say, well, he wasn't right. It's obvious he wasn't right. It's obvious he was sinning, even though Paul, in his words, said, I was just being zealous for God. You're like, you're so messed up. Just like we say about other people who don't believe the way we believe. Sometimes I think we get so absorbed with our own beliefs that we just don't understand why everybody doesn't believe like we believe. It's black and white. Come on. You should believe the way I believe. And sometimes I think we think our purpose in life is to call everybody else out because they're wrong. Because we're consumed with being right. Because our religion is right. To the point that we want to tell everyone else they're wrong. Listen, again, Paul thought he was right. Dragging people off and killing Christians and destroying the church. Thought he was right. Listen, church, it's it's not about being right. You don't want to stand in front of God one day and say, Hey, I was right. You need to save me because I was right. I did it right. I believed it right. I followed it right. Listen, only, the only part of right on the day of judgment is we will be righteous because of Jesus. Not because of our deeds. Not because we went to the right church. Not because we figured out the role of women right. Not because we have the right sign out at the street. Not because our beliefs are right. Listen, listen, folks, the reason God appeared to Saul on the road that day, the reason Saul had a life-changing moment, is because he was wrong. He was wrong about Jesus, he was wrong about God, he was wrong about his religion, and probably in his wrongness, he was probably more right than any of us. Let me illustrate. Paul said... What, do you, what anyone else dares to boast about, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Looks pretty right. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. You want to stack up your trophies against Paul? He says, let's do it. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But you need to know this. He was wrong, which is why he had a life-changing moment. God knew he was wrong, and God appeared to him on the road to Damascus and because he needed a life-changing moment. Just like me and you. Here's his life-changing moment. The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And that's what Saul did. He got up and he was baptized and he washed his sins away. So, let me go back to my life-changing moment, my life-changing year. I changed my outlook last year, and I'm still working on that. I changed my diet, and I'm still working on that. Changed my exercise, I'm still working on that. I lost 25 pounds and counting, still working on that. 
Because, you know, doctors say you need to lose weight and eat right. You can go to any doctor. You need to lose weight and eat right. <laughs> Listen, folks, I'm, I'm not perfect in my diet. I'm not perfect in my eating habits. I'm not perfect in my exercise. But I'm telling you, last year got my attention, and it was a life-changing moment. That's what life-changing moments should do, is get our attention. Just like Jesus wants to get your attention on a day-to-day -day basis. I think Jesus wants to have continual life-changing moments with you. Jesus isn't asking us to be perfect. He's not asking us to be right. He's just asking us to follow Him. Life-changing moments are meant to be learning moments. Life-changing moments are meant to give you life. And when you give your life to God, and when you repent, and, and you change directions, which is what repentance is, that's a life-changing moment, then that's what you need to do. So let me get back to Paul. Let me close with Paul. This guy named Saul, this guy named Paul, went everywhere. Everywhere. And he went through all kinds of persecutions after his life-changing moment. He went everywhere preaching Jesus. And in Acts 26, he's on trial before King Agrippa. And he's telling King Agrippa, he's giving his testimony about that day, about that day when he met Jesus, about that day when he had his life-changing moment. And here's what we read. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. I know you're familiar with these things. And then Agrippa said to Paul, you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long. I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. That's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for you this year. That in this short time we've had today, short time or long, that I can persuade you to have a life-changing moment, that I can persuade you to give your life to Jesus. So let me say a couple of things. If you've already been baptized, maybe it's time to realign. Maybe it's time to recommit. Maybe you've spent too much try time trying to convince God that you're right and He needs to save you because you're right. And maybe you've just been living to be right. You're not really following Jesus. You're just living to be right. So can I persuade you this year? It's not about being right. Again, it's about being righteous in Jesus. But I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how you're living. I want you to go home and look in the mirror and, and, and you decide. I'm not going to tell you. You decide, am I living for Jesus or am I just living so that I'll be right? If you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to do that. You don't have to do that today. We have people that use this baptistry all during the week. And I don't have to baptize you, and the elders don't have to baptize you. It doesn't matter who baptizes you. And there's no magic in this water, and there's no magic in what's being said. What happens is, and it's not magic, is what's in your heart that you're convinced that you need to follow Jesus. And in doing so, you're going to get up in this baptistry. So get up, be baptized. And wash your sins away. Can I encourage you in the short time, short time or long time, I want to persuade you today, this year, that it's a life-changing moment for you. Maybe in a single event, maybe in a series of events, 
Can I persuade you to give your life to Jesus today? Let's pray.